Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator, and host of The Jane Austen Podcast. Join me as we embark on a journey through Austen's timeless stories, starting with Pride and Prejudice. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, Scoobies. It's Kristen. I'm just up here at the very top of this episode of Angel on Top Before the Bell, To let you know, we had just a tiny little audio issue in the form of a microphone that wasn't on the whole time. Um, Luckily, there was a computer microphone. You'll hear that Morgan sounds uh, just a little less high quality than usual. So if you're a little jarred by that sound, please know it was just the microphone saying... You know what, guys? This episode is too sad, even for me. Uh, You won't notice it too much once you get in, but now you know. And hey, let's get into the episode. Welcome back to Angel on Top, a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of Angel, one by one, spoiler-free, and in tandem with that rat bastard (laughs) buffering the vampire slayer. I'm your co-host, LaToya Ferguson, a.k.a. The Cordelia Chase of the Buffering Verse, aka Bones, aka one half of the Gun Squad, Bang Bang, <laughs> aka Theodore K. Mullins, aka Gilly, aka lover of long winded bits, baby. <laughs> and I'm your co host, Morgan Ludish, aka the Winifred Burkle of the Buffering Verse, aka also Bones. A.K.A. the other half of the gun squad, Pow Pow. A.K.A. Frank Scobopoulos. A.K.A. Sorry. A.K.A. also a lover of long-winded bits, baby. And this week, we are watching Angel Season 3, Episode 17, Forgiving. Forgiving was written by Jeffrey Bell and directed by Turi Meyer. It aired on the WB on April 15th, 2002. And this is the one where after the aftermath of Connor's trip to Kortov, the gang desperately searches for Wesley, Fred and Gunn to save him, and Angel to kill him. Previously on Angel, check me out, I'm Mr. Dad. Again, Justine telling Wes he doesn't know everything Holt has done for them. Sounds like a nice cult. The father will kill the son, but the burger mascot saying the vampire will devour his child, which we'll talk about. Lauren telling them all what Wes did to him. Justine's little prank and slice. Hello, son, I am your father. Angel allowing Holt to take Connor, but then Sajan opens up the portal, and Holt is like, I'm gonna jump into the the portal with Creepy Connor. And Justine's like, Daniel! We're gonna talk about that, too. And poor Angel just left all alone. So that's our previously. It starts off great, check me out on Mr. Dad, and then ends like that. It ends like what the rest of this episode's gonna feel like. Yeah, let's just dive in. You know, it feels good if you dive in. 
I've heard that somewhere. I can't remember where. Um, so we open in the Hyperion. Angel's in his destroyed room, uh, staring at the empty crib his son used to sleep in. So good vibes. Uh, we then cut to Wes's place. Fred and Gunn are there. They're trying to, like figure out where he's gone. Fred is listening to her own frantic voicemails, which makes me deeply sad. Um, and she says, it like doesn't make sense. Why would he do it? And Gunn's like, I don't know, but he did it. Yeah, and he's telling her, Wes is not coming back. No toothbrush, no razor, no Mossberg 12 gauge he kept in the closet. That's the gun that he pointed at Justine and did not use and we wanted him to use. Mm-hmm. And they, together, they both agree that they need to find Wes before Angel does, because if Angel finds him first, it's probably not going to be good. Um, and Fred is, says she doesn't want to believe that he'd do this without a reason. And is like, he kept diaries, right? Maybe we can find those. Once a watcher, always a watcher. Yeah, I appreciate, we talked about it before, appreciating that gun, you know, he has every right to be pissed at Wesley, but now with the situation they're in, he's over any petty issues he had with him. And he's just trying to, like, find his friends, figure out what the hell happened. Yeah, like, he's he's confused. Yeah, Gunn is great in this, as he, I mean, always is. We are bang, bang. Him and Fred in this episode are just breaking my heart. They're so earnest, and they believe in Wes so much. And I, I mean, I feel that they're right, too. And ultimately... I, I'll be interested to see, like, once we get there, to talk about how you feel about the way everybody accepts this information. It's interesting because, obviously, Cordelia's not around. Wesley is not around. Angel is off doing his thing. It's kind of, I don't I don't want to say, like, the B-Squad doing things. Yeah. It, it has that vibe in a way, but not, like, in a, oh, no, they can't do anything. You know? Do you know what I mean? Or am I just talking I, nonsense? No, no, no. What I, my shorthand for that is when people are in, like, what I call, like, Iron Man 3 mode, which is, <laughs> I know, deeply nerdy, but that's, like, the, the movie where he's, like, without a suit for a mm-hmm. lot of it. So it's... A lot of the big pieces that we're used to having are missing and no one can rely on any like crutch or any like thing they usually have and they just have to kind of have themselves. And I really liked looking at this kind of deconstructed team angel and talking about what they can and can't do together. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in terms of like, you know, Fred can't read every single language that these dusty old tomes are always in. And Cordy's filing system doesn't make sense. Like all of that really <laughs> tracked for me. Yeah, it only makes sense to Cordelia. Um, <laughs> and also Iron Man 3 is the best one. So that's a great analogy. 100% Iron Man 3. Okay, I'm glad we're an Iron Man 3 positive podcast. It's the best. It's the best Iron Man, possibly the best Marvel movies. So there we go. Let's see. It's in the top five for sure. Hell yeah. Um, so after this, uh, Gunn and Fred leave Wes's. They're like, okay, we're going to find these diaries. They're, you know, they're trying him again on his cell. And they are inside the car once we start to hear a cell phone ringing. And we pan over, over, over. We see the phone and we see, hey, it's Wes still hanging out on the ground. <sighs> Six weeks and this is what it's, what is happening. 
absolutely brutal. So our next scene takes place uh, in our favorite location, Holtz's Fighty Manor. Uh, Justine storms in, she stakes the practice vamps, and she's like, no more training, no more practice. From now on, everything's real to all the goons. Holtz escaped with the vampire's child, dot, 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 as he and I planned. (laughs) (laughs) Justine is at her most Justine in this episode. She's just eating all over the place in this episode. Just eating absolutely every which way. I wrote LOL honey in my notes under this. I wrote in my notes, they should know she's full of shit. They absolutely should. But I mean, they don't seem like they were ever smart. So (laughs) it just just seems like uh, Holtz wanted me to say that you guys did a really great job and uh, that we have to finish what he started and kill Angelus. Yep, that's what he said. He also said there's a problem with the left phalange. (laughs) I mean, do you buy that she like wants to continue this mission just like clinging to any sense of purpose that she I don't can think find. So much wanted to continue the mission as uh, she wants to find someone to blame who's not Holt. So she's like, I'll blame Angel. Let's kill him. Maybe I'll feel better. And obviously Fred realizes there's no feeling better for you. Yeah, a handy scapegoat for sure. Um, and I, for some reason, none of the goons are like, cool, now that Holtz is gone, what was your deal with him? <laughs> I wish that there was one who, like, raised his hand and was like, yeah, by the way, what the hell? Hey, Justine, why are you beat to shit? (laughs) So then, Hyperion Lobby, we're with Fred, we're with Gunn, and we're with Lorne. Fred is devastated to find out that the baby's gone, and even more devastated to find out that it left via a portal. Not like that. Not a portal. There's pulling, and there's noise, and there's nothing to hold on to. Nothing at all. Maybe. He must have been so scared. This uh, broke my heart. I mean, yeah, it's it's easy to forget at this point, you know, what Fred went through, because she's not uh, the same writing on the walls, never leaving her room girl that she was when we started the season. You know, she's mm. adjusted but that's like a trauma that's not going away and it never should really because fuck portals. Absolutely fuck portals. And that's like, you know, that, that shit stays with you uh, for quite some time. Gun holds her and calls her baby, uh, which was very nice. And I drew hearts in my notes. And Lauren explains what he read off of Wes, which is he was meeting with Holtz in secret. And when he took Connor, he planned to never come back. Yeah, but Gunn's like, he calls him our Wesley. He refuses to believe it. He said, you you read Wesley wrong, basically. And Fred agrees. Yeah, which is great. Like, good. That's a good friend. Uh, that's a good pal. Um, yeah, I, I like that. And Angel enters. He is in a mood uh understandably he's like very numb and he's like i'm gonna get connor everyone's gonna pay um and he orders lorne to find out everything he can find out about portoth um gun and fred are like cool we are very down to help but how are we gonna figure all of this out without wes and gun even like is trying to like skirt around even saying wes's name or referencing him and angel's like we don't need him 
will go through Sajan. Because mm-hmm, Sajan's behind all of this, which is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the few uh, lighter moments of the episode that I could find in, in just a desperate attempt to find anything we could be funny about. Uh, Angel then produces a drawing of Sajan he did. So I'm thinking about Angel angrily sketching. <laughs> like, when did he do this? When did he? I'm going to get this guy just as soon as I get the shading on his upper lip, right? Because the rational time to do this is after the meeting with Lila at the bar. That's when you do it. But the idea that he did it after Connor was kidnapped is absurd to me. <laughs> so I, I have to ask you, mm-hmm. I, as I told you, there was a six week break between these two episodes. You are so brave. How do you think the WB handled this? In terms of like marketing? Or, or like what they put in its place. Oh, oh, I was there like a limited series? Yes, because they were not just airing Angel reruns, actually. What they uh, instead did was they were burning off the rest of Kevin Williamson's Glory Days. Do you know about Glory Days, Morgan? I have heard the title Glory Days, but I don't know who's in that one. Who is in Glory Days? Glory Days stars Eddie Cahill and J.R. Ferguson. Uh, Eddie Cahill plays a an author. It's a, it's a real October Road situation. An author who wrote about his uh, hometown. And he while he changed the character names, everyone knows who he was writing about. And in his version of the story, though, he makes it a mystery novel where one of them is a murderer who killed his father. <laughs> So he goes back and everyone's upset with him. It's, you know, your standard going back to your hometown and everyone hates you story. Great story, right? Amazing. WB wanted more from that. Not just a simple going home story mm-hmm. after, you know, Dawson's Creek, Young Americans did fail. Mm-hmm. So they made sure there was like a mystery aspect to the show. Kind of like going, capitalizing off of the, the fame of X-Files, the popularity oh. of X-Files. So now it's one of those things where it's like, what are these spooky things happening in this town? And what are the real reasons behind these things? All of this makes me want to tell you desperately about the time that um, I went to a screenwriting uh, school and, um, you know, all of us got to know each other very well. And at a certain point, someone wrote a story about a bunch of us. And uh, the character that was me was very subtly named Megan. I was hoping it was Lorgan. Yeah, it was Megan. And I was like, huh, I wonder who this is. (laughs) So fun times. Um, Dang, glory days. R.I.P. But yeah, they burned off like the last three episodes of Glory Days. And then they just did Seventh Heaven reruns back to back before Angel returned. We all needed to be free of sin for the return of Angel. (laughs) So our next scene is at Wolfram and Hart. Uh, we're with Lila and Linwood in Lila's office. And Linwood's like, hey, seems like a lot of stuff's been going on that I haven't been told. And Lila's like, who, me? I'm just writing a report with all of it. It's going to be on your desk first thing in the morning. I was totally going to tell you the whole time. Linwood's also in a tux and we don't know why. I absolutely loved Linwood being in a tux. I want to think about like, the gala that he was at, that he was torn from. Like, he was, like, having... There were past apps wherever he was. Like, he was eating delightful little finger foods. He was drinking champagne. He was having a great time. Maybe he was going to get out and dance a little bit. And then work, isn't it always? (laughs) Are we the only pro-Linwood angel podcast that exists? I think we might be. I I think if we are, it's wrong, 
but we might be the only one, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, Linwood calls this all, like, a big win for Holtz, to which Lila replies, if you call being in, like, a hell cesspool dimension a win. And he's like, yeah, because it's not a win for us. He's um, upset with Lila. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Yeah, Lila, um, Lila being very casual with her job in this episode, I was... Uh, I was very worried for her career. I was like, you are not uh, sucking up to your boss enough to... Because yeah, she's not even doing the whole Lindsay thing where it's like, she's morally conflicted. She's just going against them because she's like pissed at Angel. She just wants to do more evil, but like not their allowed evil. Yeah, I there are moments I'll point out as we go along where I'm like, you should not be doing this. I was very <laughs> worried for her and her job security. <laughs> Which I shouldn't be. She's evil. <laughs> you shouldn't care. But she's so pretty. Yeah, she looks really good in this scene. She looks really good in all scenes. <laughs> um, our next scene's at the Hyperion office. Uh, this is where we start to hit some research roadblocks where uh, Fred can't read all the languages that Wes could, so she doesn't have access to all the books, and Gunn can't figure out Cordy's filing system. This is where Fred is like, oh, I'll just call Cordelia then. And Angel stops her, hangs up the phone. And she's like, why shouldn't I call her? And Angel says, she'll be back soon. And when she does, she'll have presents for Connor. And he's going to be here so she can give them to him. Okay? No way, man. Absolutely not. You just turn the episode off and be like, I can't do this anymore. I quit. I wanted to. I'm sh- I, I guarantee you I paused it both times to like put my like my face in my hands and hide. Um, I've written in my notes in all caps. Ouch. <laughs> I, again, we, we've talked about this, but I like the way they are writing the Cordelia's absence where it's not like every scene you're like, well, why isn't Cordy just here? You know, these, I think it's reasonable why she's not around and why Angel's like, Angel shutting it down doesn't just feel like, well, she's not available, so we can't have her. So I think they they do very well with the reasons behind Cordelia not being here, even though Cordelia should be here because the chaos that they get up to when Cordelia Chase is not around. We we need Cordy. She, uh, like, things fall apart when she's gone and this is the evidence. Yeah, jeez. Wow. Like, really? Things just took a tremendous downturn once she left. Yeah, she's a pretty crucial piece of the team. Um, And to think otherwise is foolish, in my opinion. (laughs) So Angel ultimately, like, realizes, I guess he's being kind of intense or unreasonable. And he, like, apologizes and leaves. And he's like, this just isn't working. Forget it. And Gunn and Fred are like, forget it? (laughs) What? the hell and they decide that they need to go find Wes before Angel does just in case he decides that um he's gonna go after some vengeance uh Mm -hmm. so fun stuff fun stuff speaking of fun stuff a homeless man finds Wesley Mm -hmm. almost seems like something good might happen nope what star was Wes born under for real. Like, every single thing that could possibly go wrong goes wrong. This guy tries to check him for ID because they he like, assumes he was mugged. And um, since he has a bunch of cash, he just takes it. Not only does he take the money, he then hides the body. Come on, dude. 
Not cool. You could have taken the money and still helped him, honestly. Uh Uh-huh. He's not speaking. We know this. Yeah. So as uh, as my uh, you know stomach ulcer grows, we uh, go to the Hyperion lobby uh, and we have an Angel and Lauren scene. Lauren is back and he's like, Hortoth is very scary and there are no portals there. To get there, you have to rip a hole in reality with like centuries of gathered dark magic. Yes. Uh, so the reason Angel doesn't give a shit about what Lauren's saying is because he has kidnapped Linwood and plans to torture him. Uh, as plans go, I guess it's a pretty solid one. Yeah. Uh, I write in my notes, it would appear to be torture o'clock. And Linwood's like, look, 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 uh, you can have um, all of Wolfram and Hart's resources. And Angel says, who's Sajan? How do I get my hands on him? And he's like, Got a little pointy spike at um, right at Linwood's eye. This is when Linwood is like, please dial three on my speed dial. And I would like to ask, who is number two? Is one Wolfman Hart, two is his wife, I'm guessing? Well, I think usually on speed dial, there's no one. It's just two. It starts with two. Why do you know so about speed dial? This is what I remember it being like on my parents' old cell phones. <laughs> I think it starts with two, and then so, which I'm like, wow, Lila, second on the list. Like, congrats, girl. Do we think two is just his own assistant so that he can roll calls? His or mistress. Is it his mistress? <laughs> We're just like writing Linwood fan fiction anytime he shows up. Look, we have said several times we want to write expanded universe materials. Let us write the uh, the Linwood Diaries. <laughs> just absolutely insufferable, grotesque, just offensive in every possible way. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I wanted to feel like old James Bond. <laughs> Um, so there we go. Again, I clinging to anything fun. Um, so, uh, he says on the phone to Lila, give him anything he wants. So he's sufficiently intimidated. Yeah. He's a, he's a little coward. He really is. Yeah. It's pretty gutless. Uh, then at, uh, fighty manor, we have a Justine, Fred and gun scene. Justine is whittling. She's whittling all alone. (laughs) God. Again, Nothing sadder. She is just eating all over this episode. Everything she does, I'm just like, that's so Justine. Like a classic Justine at every turn. Um, Gun does some threats. Fred is sick of violence. And she's like, um, I get it. For you, like losing Holtz must be like losing a father. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Or worse. And I write in my notes in all caps, so Fred also agrees the vibe is hard to pin down. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't imagine Justine smooching anyone. <laughs> maybe her steak. Yeah, maybe once she's, once she's got it freshly whittled. I love that um, Justine thinks the dweebs who are the cult would, can do anything to gun. Wesley kicked their asses tremendously. <laughs> 
yeah, like it's not gonna happen. Uh, it, but one of them gets a knife to Gunn's throat, and then uh, Justine has a little mini flashback of slitting Wes's throat, and is like, "Ah, I um, I mustn't uh, allow this to continue to happen." After she puts ha- her hands on Fred, by the way, didn't care for that. Didn't care for that. Fred also sees the place is messy and is like, "Ah, trash." Remind me of that later. <laughs> So, yeah, Justin suddenly is growing a conscience. And are we supposed to care? <laughs> yeah, I didn't didn't care for her redemption. And obviously this is a show, like, about mm. redemption and stuff like that. But um, I don't forgive I'm her, not so. Mm-hmm. No forgiving yeah. for Justine in this episode. <laughs> yeah, none of it goes towards her. <laughs> but to be fair, it doesn't seem like anyone gets forgiven in any way, shape, or form in this episode. <laughs> kind of a misleading title. I think if you title an episode Forgiving, someone needs to do some forgiving in the episode. But that's I mean, just me, maybe. They talk about forgiving, and that's how they <laughs> trick you. So Justine's like, okay, get out. Like, bye. You can uh, you can live. Um, then at uh, Wolfram and Hart, we have Angel and Lila. They're going to the White Room which Lila is jazzed about. She is so giddy and Angel is having none of it. (laughs) What do you think of the white room and it's like design and like, what is in it? (laughs) (laughs) Great questions, Morgan. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, I have larger context about the white room just because I know or remember more of what happened in the show. Maybe you should talk about your feelings on the white room. Um, I believe I make this reference constantly, but all I could think of was Resident Evil. Like, this looked very Resident Evil to me. Uh, Evil little girl, all white space, like spooky, endless, um, slightly bad CGI, like all of that just screams Resident Evil to me. So you loved Um, it. So I felt safe and at home. I have high standards for spooky uh, little girl. So I wish this girl had been a little creepier, but it was still pretty good, pretty dang good performance and good thing. It was definitely unsettling, which was the goal. I think she was plenty creepy without being try hard in the creepiness. I appreciated that. And I think that's better than, like, I would rather it just be a little less than too much, you know? So you are correct on that because we've all seen the like too creepy little kid. That's like, I love to eat souls. Like, you know, that's not, um, that's not scary. Like, are you scared by what I just did? (laughs) No, not at all. So you see, and that was why it was a good example of something that doesn't work. (laughs) And of course, uh, this little girl who is not even really a little girl, obviously, Mm is uh, played by now-retired actress Kate Panabaker. Kristen, do you want to say things even though I rained on your parade with all the fun facts? Are you asking for admission to my corner? <laughs> no! <laughs> Can I come in? Can I come in? <laughs> Kristen's Corner Kristen's Corner It's alright with ducks and what the fuck it Cody is hot Kristen's Corner is the place for very You may come into my corner. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, welcome. Yeah, first of all, the, I disagree, Morgan. I think this little girl nailed it. 
I loved her. She reminded me of, I don't know if either of you are Game of Thrones humans and could help me with the name of the character I'm thinking of, but the little girl who kills the giant. Um, little baby Mormont. Yeah, um, the baby Mormont. Mm-hmm. What's her name? I, I, I forget her first name and everybody is yelling It's like, me. it's not it's like Illyria and it's not. No, Aria? Le- 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 no, 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 no. Liana. Uh, Liana. <laughs> Liana Mormont. She gave me strong Liana Mormont vibes um, because she Mm -hmm. was like she because she wasn't playing creepy. She was just playing Mm -hmm. like adult in a child body, which I feel Mm -hmm. was very effective. And yes, I foolishly before we started (laughs) recording this episode was like, guys, I have a fun fact about the little girl. And the toy was like, you mean retired actress, Miggity Schmog? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I went on a deep dive, what I thought was a deep, a deep dive for Kristen Mm -hmm. Russo, a mere skim for LaToya Ferguson. Um, But she's a zoologist. And I was reading her Instagram. I was checking out her Instagram today. She hangs out with the animals at the zoo. Do you know the other Buffyverse connection she has that you should know, Kristen? Wow. So you came to my corner. (laughs) (laughs) This is a setup. (laughs) I'm going to tell you this one. You walk into my corner. No, I don't know her other Buffy connection. (laughs) Well, in in the one season Greg Berlanti series, No Ordinary Family, Kate Panterbaker played the daughter of which Buffyverse actress? Morgan knows. Know. Morgan Hannigan. Julie oh. Benz. Julie Benz, baby. <gasps> oh, that checks out with my Instagram stalking because Julie Benz follows this actress. And I was like, wow, they really just met each other from this one episode of Angel? How did they? That's how it is. <laughs> so you've solved a mystery for me. Great. There Great. Go. Also, I fucking love the white room. I um, said this to you mm-hmm. both when we were not recording, but I remember very little of Angel the series and this episode. Unfortunately, my brain was like, oh, hey, we have this little package of traumatic television you've watched it's over here in the corner (laughs) and so I remembered it I like so much of what happened in this episode um and I I love the white room I also love the way you get there I'm rewatching lost so I was like what are the buttons are they 4 15 16 no they're not I also loved the way that you get there I I loved uh I love Wolfram and Hart's uh, weird elevators. Right, it's like a video. It's like a video game shortcut. Like I remember, how, like when I was a kid playing video games, and we would get those like big books that had all the shortcuts you could do. You'd like fucking bonk your head on this question mark, and then like walk three paces to the left, and then like a door would open. I also played video games that had similar books. I just never bought the book because I was like, if I can't do it by myself, I don't want to be able to do it. So I would just um, never finish any (laughs) game um, out of pure stubbornness. (laughs) Oh, yes. I'm no longer a gamer, but you heard it here first. At age eight, I was right there with my book fucking and my Zelda and my fucking Super Mario Brothers. Anyway. Um, thank you so much for coming to my corner. You're both great. This episode of television, it, you could almost say that it is one of the most upsetting things you've ever seen, unless you are me and you host Buffering the Vampire Slayer, in which case <laughs> it is sadly more upsetting. <laughs> okay, bye, yep. guys. Okay, cool brag. Kristen's Corner. Corner.
goodness. So uh, little Panda Baker is like, the baby's gone. You want Sajan and explains about the past when Sajan was, uh, you know, had a physical form and he created a lot of trouble, which she likes, but also a lot of chaos, which she doesn't like. <laughs> he and- was a little badass, Sajan. Yeah, he's cutting off heads. We see a little bit of flashback stuff. Angel deduces that they made him immaterial because of that. And she's like, yeah, dude. I'm a little little stinker. (laughs) She's a little gilly Uh, is what she is. Sorry. (laughs) He's like, so how do I catch Sajan? She's like, well, there's like an old urn, which is like the thing that Holtz had. But um, that would just take him. You want to actually hurt him. Uh, And you can but there's a price. And he's like, cool, what is it? And he's like, she's like, kill her. And he just lunges <laughs> for Lila. He is about to snap Lila's neck. It's about to be game over for Lila Morgan. I screamed. I was, I love it. If um, it isn't the consequences of her actions. <laughs> yeah, how could this have ever happened to me? um yeah it's so funny and she like giggles the little girl does she's like okay that's enough that's enough that's enough that's cute um i'm glad we can work on this <laughs> so she gives him the uh, a ritual you know a little piece of paper with instructions on how to do a ritual to get Sajan. today's episode is brought to you by regal cinemas If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn. If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all you can watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Back in Wesley's neighborhood, Wesley's still laid out in the park... But Fred is going into a dumpster. Fred says to her boyfriend, okay, 
throw me away. <laughs> Same, honestly. Uh, she dumpster dives and she finds the diaries. She and Gunn are going through all the diaries and they're like, Wes is really scared, is like what I'm picking up on. And Gunn says, of what? And Fred says, impending doom, big prophecy. Um, it says, it can't be coming. It can't be true. Ah, Wes. And they're like, huh, prophecy, what prophecy? And then Gunn finds it. The father will kill the son. To which I write in my notes, that'll fucking do it. (laughs) That's the one. And Fred is like genuinely relieved there's a reason. Like she's like happy. She's like, phew. Like Wes did the right thing. He did the only thing he could do under the circumstances. Yeah, we kind of talked about that. Like he's doing like what he could like what you thought was the best thing and i guess the thing is here is that fred finds this knowledge to make her like optimistic gun not so much even though he's like obviously relieved to know what wes's reasoning was Mm -hmm. he doesn't think this is gonna solve anything yeah that fred's like let's go tell angel and gun's like so he can forgive him like that's not gonna happen and wes is still dying outside so fun it's like guys he's so close and just losing more and more blood by the second. Uh, so then in the Hyperion lobby, we have a Lorne, Angel, Lila, and Linwood scene. It is ritual time and Lorne is not on board. Lorne is trying to talk sense into Angel, uh, which is hard to do with Lila there being Lila. Yeah, Lorne's doing his best, but it's just not happening. Uh, the next ingredient in the ritual is human blood. So Lila like walks towards Linwood menacingly with a knife and then does a palm slice on herself. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what her reasoning was for this. Did she hope that like Linwood was not making it? Obviously she hoped he wasn't going to make it out alive, but did she like really think he wasn't going to make it out alive? It's not like there's nothing to scaring him a little bit and reminding him that like when she's in charge, you know, he's at, you know, at her mercy or whatever. But uh, I think she played with her hand a little too much. Yeah. After, again, Unwise. she did a bunch of things she wasn't supposed to do. She did things versus Wolfman Hart, essentially. <laughs> and now she, this was unwise. I mean, palm slicing in general is unwise. But the teasing, no, that, don't do that, Lila. Like, and that is, and and as we are obviously Linwood stands, but this is us looking out for Lila and for her job security. Yeah. Like, what what was that, Lila? Come on. That was a Lindsay thing to do. Mm. Oh, that was textbook Lindsay. (laughs) So then Latin is red. There is wind. There is lightning. There is nothing. Jack shit. Then, on a nearby street, uh, Sajan materializes in the middle of the road and is promptly hit by a car because he's corporeal now. I'm like, should I say huzzah? Do we want him to be corporeal? What is the reaction I should have to him being corporeal? I think this is as good a time as any to say that I'm not, nor have I ever truly been on the Sajan train. I have not even found him, to be honest, like a villain I like love to hate. Um, I do not enjoy his snarky asides and his anachronistic speech. I just want to punch him. I mean, it, it's, it is speech of all times because he is of all times or whatever. 
I understand that it is justified, but um, he does one of my big pet peeves, which is later when he's like, I flitted around in a manly way. I was like, ew. Yeah, he has to clarify that it's a manly way. Maybe it wasn't. And also, who cares if it was? That doesn't matter. He has a strange relationship with his, like, masculinity, as we you know before. And also, uh, little Panda Baker is calling him them, actually, in the white mm. room. So I'm oh, just curious okay. in general now. Yeah, huh. Interesting. Because he, he points out earlier that he's, like, he's male presenting, he, as he mm-hmm. says. But yeah. now, who knows? What is Sajan's deal? We just know he's <laughs> versus a baby. <laughs> Again, which, as I've said before, embarrassing. I mean, that's actually the best part about Sajan, that he is versus a baby, and he goes through all this, like, his whole partnership with Lila is because he is versus a baby. I feel like Justine's nemesis is also a baby, so the baby took Holt away from her, took her, her Daniel away from her. And you have proved my point, because who is more embarrassing? Surprised <laughs> we didn't get any Kristen uh, talking about Justine during her quarter. I like it took me everything <laughs> to not come on mic every time you were like Justine just Justineing all over the place. I was like, isn't she? <laughs> she is. It's literally. I'm so sorry, but it's like I couldn't. I couldn't. The only thing. The only thing that I liked of Justine. Now that I'm here, I will say, mm-hmm. is I don't like that she hits Fred, but. The way she hits Fred is pretty good. It's like the only thing that she's ever done in the entire show where I was like, oh, maybe she can punch a person. You know what I mean? <laughs> she sold the punch very she well. She sold it. Yeah. It was like her, her whole arm was straight. It was like straight arm slap. It was good. And everything else, you know how I feel. I didn't need to be here. You could just, you could have heard this in your own mind. Thank you for letting me say. <laughs> You're just double checking. Just I have changed. Justine just steaming all over the place. <laughs> she really is. Yeah. Not, no one was safe. <laughs> so now Angel's <laughs> carrying Linwood up the stairs in the chair. So funny. The clunk, clunk, clunk of this was making me laugh. He's like, yeah, I'm going to kill this guy. Linwood's yelling and he's like, Lila, like, Lila, you're not supposed to let this happen. She is doing nothing. Lorne is like shouting at Angel, like trying to appeal to his, you know, whatever remaining sense of morality he has. Um, He's like, remember, like, we don't murder. (laughs) And Lila then is the only one who can stop all of this. And she pops out, sticks her head in and goes, whoa, flag on the play. Which made me laugh hysterically. She says that the tech guys detected a bioplasmic disturbance at the same time as the spell. And they figure that must be Sajan. And he's nearby. So Angel drops the chair. (laughs) It's so funny. It's so brutal. And Linwood rolls down the stairs and the chair shatters. It is good to me. Yes, but what is not good to me is Angel trying to leave, and then Gunn and Fred are there, and they're, like, desperately trying to stop him. Leslie was trying to protect Connor. He was trying to protect you, same as we're doing right now. And Angel doesn't want to hear it. He's like, okay, well, that prophecy's a lie, because I would never hurt someone I care about. He says, glaring at Fred, who has put herself in between him and what he wants. (laughs) Yeah, it's... We know the prophecy is an asshole and we get more reason why the prophecy is an asshole. But again, you have to remember that our, our fr- favorite burger said specifically, mm-hmm. 
the vampire will devour his child. So that was actually the truth. That, that has, mm-hmm. honestly had nothing to do with the prophecy. That was mm-hmm. just the truth because of what Sajan and Lila did. But because yes. of that, that added more to Sajan's nonsense that he created. It's just all a big old asshole. That's what it is. <laughs> it's it's really hard to see like him treat them so poorly. I didn't like it in season two. I don't like it now. I know he's going through it and I respect that and I understand it, but it sucks for him to just like growl essentially at her. Like, cause I never be mean now, like leave or I'm going to be mean. Like it's just, I, I mean, at ouch. least it just lasts, at least for them mm-hmm. in this episode and not a whole arc like in season two. Yes. Uh, thank, thank goodness. He does apologize um, to them here. Mm-hmm, yes. Uh, and Fred uh, wants to go after him and Gunn's like absolutely not because if he puts a finger on you I'm gonna kill him yeah hot (laughs) yeah check that tux check that bod sign me up for the gun squad did someone say golden god I'm all in on the gun squad gameball playing gameball king Sign me up for the gun squad, even when he's curmudgeon in. I'm all in on the gun squad. Bang, bang. Little Charles gonna shoot his shot. Bang, bang. Cracking skulls up and down the block. Bang, bang. Gotta smile to make the panties drop. Bang, bang. Gun squad. Gun squad. So then out in the courtyard, I write in my notes, Justine really tries it. Oh, my notes are, God, Justine and the cult are so fucking bad at this. He takes them all out immediately. So quickly. And then he leaves the courtyard and and Justine, like, launches herself at him for one final assault. And Angel says to her, I'm not your boyfriend. Find someone else to smack you around. Uh, Which makes makes me wonder... Because uh, later when Justine's having her memories of Holt, I'm like, this is all abusive. Mm-hmm. Were we supposed to get like a more physically abusive relationship between them possibly, do you think? Like, well, I mean, it was very physically abusive and like mentally abusive. Like he's yeah. a cult leader who's manipulating her. Like at, there's Physically no abusive in a way that Team Angel would uh, see. Yeah, I guess that's not. But I mean, I guess he just assumed that she that holds beat her up uh and i mean correctly assumed it he's a man from assumed. the 1700s i i'm sure his uh, thoughts on feminism aren't <laughs> the best you don't think uh holtz is a woke bay <laughs> oh just uh, excerpt holtz is a woke bay holtz is a woke bay holtz in his pussy hat um no <laughs> nevertheless Holtz persisted. Um, but yeah, it, it's genuinely like I wrote in my notes about what Angel says, not exactly champion talk. Like, uh, even if it's right, um, even if it's accurate, uh, it's pretty vicious and awful to say, which again, he's in a vicious and awful mood uh, for pretty valid reasons. But we're seeing some dark behavior from our boy. I mean, he is the Dark Avenger. I've, I've heard that yeah <laughs> yeah but so he he bails he's like fuck like fuck off justine that's basically what you say <laughs> i mean <laughs> that's what he should have said to, to begin with 
Angel comes back from a six-week hiatus of, of Seventh Heaven reruns, and then immediately he, Angel says, fuck off. <laughs> it would have been valid. Nobody would have minded. I just, Everyone keep, would have been like, that's fine. I keep imagining letters from Seventh Heaven fans about Angel the series. <laughs> so Gunn and Fred come out. They see Justine and her goons fleeing in Wes's car, and they're like, holy shit, okay, I guess she has that like how did that happen yeah and they're like time to tail her because it's easy to tail justine how slow was she going that they could catch up to her as she had already started driving when they were just standing in the courtyard oh my god i imagine it's very easy but i'm wondering how did she leave a trail of chunky boots uh, and leather jackets <laughs> that you can follow like breadcrumbs I'm surprised she doesn't have like a wallet chain. <laughs> <laughs> then at the at the scene of the car accident, we have a uh, our nice sad guy who hit Sajan is like sitting on the curb feeling like heartbroken and guilty. His name is Al Stokely, and I thought he was a sweetie. He is. It was interesting because despite the way Angel's behaving this episode, this is like an old school help the helpless scene in this episode. Yeah, and I think it's it, it it's this kind of shock to the system for him as he's seeing all of the fallout of this spell he did, you know, without thinking it could possibly hurt anyone. A spell that he got from an evil place and, you know, therefore had evil consequences. Surprise, surprise. And uh, Al is like, this is all my fault. And Angel says, no, no, it isn't, you know, because it's his. And uh, that seems to really, like, finally be somewhat of a wake-up call for him in a in a good way you know again poor al but you know what time it is right yeah baby fuck watch time So Morgan, you're going to fuck Al, right? 100%. That, yeah, 100%. I was truly like, who the hell am I going to? This whole episode, I was like, am I just like going to say Justine to be a troll? Like, <laughs> I, I, I was like, I Kristen would personally know. fire you from the podcast if you said Justine. It's but true. I would. That is correct. <laughs> you would be fired. Also, nobody asked me, but um, I'm picking Sajan. He is newly corporeal, and I will take him. Thank you. You have picked Sajan before, I think. Yeah. I have. Have I really? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Kristen. Wow. Your season-long fuck watches Sajan. I'm just like, Sajan, just give me Sajan. I will take Sajan for the rest of their life. Now that we know they use, they use they, them pronouns. 100% chosen Sajan. Okay, well then I but I but I chose Sajan when they were yeah. not corporeal, and yeah, so I'm choosing different. corporeal Sajan. Okay, get me out of here. Go, continue <laughs> with your fuck watch, please. Um, as I was saying, Al Stokely, uh, a lovely gentleman, uh, a kind um, American, uh, a, a lovely, lovely, sweet boy. Um, I yeah, I felt for him. It's my fuck watch. Like, to, something good should happen to him. I'll try to be that something. Oh. Uh, mine's Lila. She's a hot bitch. 
Hell yes. She's a hot uh, evil bitch who is making terrible decisions for her career. <laughs> and I love it. I love to see the mess she is creating. She's a fucking <laughs> fool. Our next scene takes place at Sajan's lair. Uh, Justine walks around and, like, remembers fondly all, like, holds stabbing her and, like, treating her like shit and being awful to her, to which I write in my notes, perhaps insensitively, seek treatment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my note is literally, why is she having fond memories of his abuse? Buddy, you need to get out of You need to get some help, friend. (laughs) And she does not. Yeah, I don't even like Justine. And I'm still like, babe, you can't live like this. Like, you need need help. (laughs) Um, So Fred and Gunn come in and they're like, where's Wes? Uh, Justine has kind of like figured, like, you know, piece and stuff together and is like, your friend's innocent. And um, I slit his throat. But she's also, like, I guess in shock, she's like, all he wanted was that kid to punish Angel. Holt, I'm like, he didn't. And she's like, he lied. I'm like, no, he said that every scene. Every single scene, he was like, hi, I'm Holtz. I'm here for revenge on Angel and no other things. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think he was leading her on. <laughs> You knew it was a snake before you picked it up. Like, truly, I I don't understand. Every single scene. I'm I'm going to kill Angelus. (laughs) And take his son. (laughs) What did he lie to her about? Quiet coyote, don't speak. Open your ears, Justine. (laughs) We feel no sympathy for this woman. I feel bad because it's like objectively on paper. I want to feel bad for Ju- if you told me what had happened to Justine, I would be like, you know, this this grieving person manipulated and forced to become a soldier in a war that was not hers. I would feel very bad. But then, you know, you spend some time with Justine. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! silly stuff so fred punches her in the face which rules it's awesome yeah my notes are and then she keeps trying to fight gun poorly she's so bad at this what was holtz training them to do just be like suicide bombers because like they all suck yeah i don't think he did a really great job he got what he wanted but you know by the skin of his teeth so gun's like hey take us to west and he better be alive uh but before uh, Justine can do that, Sajan appears and he's like ready for a real fight because um, he is uh, very jazzed to be corporeal once again. He throws Justine across the room, which is wild. Uh, some Looney Tunes stuff. He is, a, yeah, very powerful. And now you know why they made him non corporeal. Yeah, because uh, he was a big deal. So uh, Angel shows up, Justine sneaks out. Angel tries to make a deal with Sajan. He's like, hey, you're corporeal. All I want is my kid back from Kortov. So just like open the portal and I'll let you go. And um, 
Sajan's like, I actually can't do that. Like, I specifically picked Kortoth because it was something I could only do once. Uh, then he admits that that is not his only prank. He went uh, went around in time and rewrote the prophecies to read the father would kill the son. And he's like, yeah, Connor is my real enemy. Like, Connor was fated to kill me. You should have worried when the baby became his nemesis suddenly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then we have a big fight. Um, Gun can, like, get hit by Sajan once and then he's down for a yeah. long time. So he's not super helpful in this battle. Fred throws some fire in his face and Angel is really the only one who can do anything that seems to hurt him at all. And then Justine shows up and she's got the urn and she sucks him back into it. And Sajan says his immortal last words before being imprisoned in the urn. No, don't do that. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, don't do that. So good. And Justine's like, Hey, Wes is at the park by his house. Yeah, my bad. (laughs) Again, what are we supposed to feel about Justine after this episode? I mean, I think we are supposed to feel sorry for her, but I um, famously don't. <laughs> we go to the park. This scene and like the next one where it's like, well, you know what? It seems like Angel still cares about Wesley. We're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, meanwhile, I'm going, I don't buy this, I don't buy this, I don't buy this. <laughs> Rocking back and forth on my couch. Uh, Angel like realizes he almost got Fred and Gunn killed. He like is reckoning with that, which like, thank you. Uh, good. Lauren reminds him. He's like, look, I think that you have to acknowledge like Sajan and Lila's plan would have had you kill your son. And that didn't happen, which is good. Um, you know, you and Wes both did the best you could with the information you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Angel doing the best he could. Like he uh, was missing a lot of information that Wesley had. Mm-hmm. No. Some information that could have been possibly helpful, but also could have been uh, a, a big issue. Yeah. If, if he tried to also prove it, uh, Wesley wrong. So, you know. Because I wonder, like, if he had, while Connor was still, you know, safe and in our dimension, if he had told Angel this, you know, we would have called Cordy, gotten her back, and tried to figure something out, right? Like, and maybe we could have done it but also who knows how he would have reacted to that like yeah we we also said wesley should have maybe called cordy someone should have called cordy it doesn't matter if wesley had told angel or not cordy (laughs) should have been called for this specific reason fully agree um so lauren says you know maybe the way to start forgiving yourself is by starting to forgive him and i think that's an important piece of this is that angel is not just angry with what like all of this is manifesting as as what anger at Wes and he is angry at Wes but he's also really angry at himself for losing his son and for not being able to protect him and save him and I think that's an important piece of all of this to acknowledge and Lauren is just an, an emotionally intelligent king and I love him agreed uh so then the phone rings Wes has been found yay, yay. 
Angel arrives. Gunn and Fred are really excited to see him. And they're like, hey, like, this is good. Like, you're here. He's okay. His trachea is all messed up, so he can't talk. Angel's like, is he asking for me? And they're like, no, no. But, you know, I'm sure he'll be happy to see you. God. This final scene, I will say, also, much like the next slashing, this also traumatized me. Of course it did. It traumatized me, and I'm an adult. (laughs) So he goes into Wes's hospital room. We see Wes there. He's bandaged up. He's, He's, like, sleeping. He wakes up when Angel comes in, and Angel says, Look, I get that this was really hard for you and that you were in a really tough position. You thought I was going to turn evil and kill my son. I didn't. It's important you know that. This isn't Angelus talking, it's me, Angel. You know that, right? I'm going to kill you. And then he (laughs) grabs the pillow and just tries to smother him to death and just screams at him. The way he's like, just to be clear, not Angelus. This is Angel. I am clear headed. Here we go. Time to die. Wesley Wyndham Price. Holy shit. This is horrific. Yeah. uh, Again, child me scared, senseless. And Angel trying to murder Wesley in his hospital bed. Yeah, it is, um, we don't have kids, so I don't know what I'd do if, you know, my kid was sent to the hell dimension. I'm I'm assuming I wouldn't be happy. What would you Uh, do if I kidnapped your kid, got my throat slashed, (laughs) and the baby kidnapped from me, sent to a hell dimension? I'd probably tell you, this is just like Angel Season (laughs) 3. You're forgiven. The exact words I'd say to you. unreal he just screams at him he's like you're gonna die you bastard like you're a dead man i'm never forgiving you you took my son like he's just um unhinged we see out in the waiting room like gun and fred were like cuddling and like smiling like ah it's all gonna be okay and then they hear the commotion and are like "Uh uh-oh and all these orderlies have to come in to pull angel like off of wes And we end the episode just on Wes gasping for air, just like looking horrified as it's like as if things couldn't get worse for him. As Angel tells him he's dead, he even calls him Price because that was the last name. Yes, that was uh, that was chilling. (laughs) Which I believe was an ad lib by Boreanaz. Ooh, very good. Yeah, it's so so uh, depersonalizing. Um, yeah, this, uh, this messed me up, man. Yeah, Angel is, um, not afraid to go there. hmm Nothing about this is good. Speaking of things that aren't good, here, let's choose the WB episode Angel Should Watch. Angel is a vampire, does he even like TV? I think he'll like the WB. <laughs> they got that hot teen drama to ease the pain of television is charmed season three episode 10 we all scream for ice cream this is an episode all about- <laughs> sorry 
in the year of our Lord 2021 you bring up, we all scream for ice cream. This is the episode where Prue has to learn about forgiveness as well while facing an evil ice cream man known as the nothing. I'm going to have to redo this not crying laugh. <laughs> it's such a stupid episode. So the episode that, you know, Angel can learn from this week, you know, for- forgiveness is a big part of this of episode, you know, titled Forgiving. Mm-hmm. It is Charmed Season 3, Episode 10. <laughs> Stop looking at me. Charmed Season 3, Episode 10, We All Scream for Ice Cream. Eldest Hallowell sister Prue learns about forgiving her deadbeat father for some reason and there's an evil ice cream man and that's that in this episode of television someone forgives someone who doesn't deserve to be forgiven because again he just abandoned his children their mom mm-hmm. died it was a whole thing yeah prue had a chip on her shoulder about that that's like the one thing prue was allowed to have a chip on her shoulder about the one explainable chip the one valid chip and she's not even allowed to have it because they're like you gotta forgive this bum <laughs> whereas angel doesn't forgive uh, wesley and you see how that works out so yeah and i mean as we all know the oh what a night promo you have the boreanas and uh the jen doherty interaction the prue and the Ooh. angel so it's just that crossover right there that's perfect yeah we already know there's an inherent chemistry there <laughs> when david Boreanaz is saying based on what his lips seem to be saying this is bullshit <laughs> That is the best part of their little mini arc in the promo is that whatever he is saying to her, it looks like he's saying this is bullshit. And it probably is what he's saying to her. And he's wrong because every moment of that is iconic (laughs) and necessary and will live on. Like, I hope that if aliens are out there and they have to see one thing that we've made as a society. It's the Oh, What a Night WB promo so that they can know that, sure, we're not perfect, but we contain multitudes. And, you know, ultimately we are worth it. Multitudes. That's what that shows. (laughs) Angel is a vampire. Does he even like TV? I think he'll like the WB. They got that hot teen drama to ease the pain and trauma. And here's the episode that he needs to see. Oh, yeah. You can find us on social media if you so wish. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at, at Angel on Top Cast. If you go to angelontop.com, it'll take you directly to our Patreon where you can find some fun bonus content um, and ad-free episodes uh, from us, which is fun. And it's a fun way to support us if you'd like to do that. Um, And if you want to find me on uh, social media, I'm at Lorgan Budich. LaToya, where can the people find you? No one should find me after the Charmed episode I recommended. (laughs) Everyone should find you because of the Charmed episode you recommended. This this has been way less painful talking to you about this episode than I thought it was going to be. So I just want to say thank you. You're welcome. And of course, we ended it like complete fools. So 
classic us. Look, just like Justine was on brand, we are on brand. <laughs> Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.